Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, award-winning certified exit planning advisor, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast for business owners. In today's show, we're going to talk about acquisition financing. Now, we're entering a new year and we th- we believe that it will be flush with opportunities for acquisition entrepreneurs, and our guest today is an expert in that area. But first, we're going to hear from our show sponsors. Right now, there's a record number of buyers looking for businesses, and many businesses are selling at a premium. To get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth, contact a broker at Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880. We're Minnesota's largest seller of companies. Let us help you maximize your life's work. Call 612-455-0880 or visit sunbeltmidwest.com. What we see with many businesses is that they've never gotten marketing to work consistently and the marketing they do doesn't meaningfully impact their bottom line. Data approaches it differently by partnering with clients for long-term, sustainable marketing solutions. They start with a consultative, crawl, walk, run approach that helps you scale your marketing efforts naturally. Data provides marketing for the long-time success of your business to tell your story in a compelling way and to make sure the value you bring is apparent to everyone. Go to data.com for more information. That's D-A-Y-T-A dot com. Trustpoint will design and manage a 401k plan that fits your company's needs. They handle everything from record keeping and investments to employee education and ongoing administration. And they take on the highest level of fiduciary responsibility to ensure your 401k plan is compliant. You already have plenty to keep you up at night. Your 401k plan should not be one of them. Visit TrustPointInc.com for more details. For business owners, it can be overwhelming to start planning a transition or exit strategy, but it's so important to avoid unwanted outcomes and unexpected tax bills. The CPAs at JAK, John A. Knutson & Company, can guide you and help make sense of the numbers. Our firm was established over 90 years ago, and we've assisted countless companies with ownership transitions. Leaving your business is a process that takes time, so contact us today to discuss your situation. Visit our website at jakcpa.com. That's jakcpa.com. We're back in the studio with John Twing, who is the SBA guy. I'm sure a lot of you listeners know who he is. He is with Live Oak Bank, and Live Oak specializes in acquisition financing all over the United States. And John is going to tell us all about it. John, welcome to Poised for Exit. Hi, Julie. How are you today? Doing great. Great to to be here with your listeners. I'm so glad that you are. Thanks for joining us. This is a really important topic, right? We're, you know, hate to timestamp this show, but we are going into a new year soon. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's going to be on the minds of a lot of our listeners over the next, especially for the first quarter, like what kind of opportunities are we going to have this year, right? Let's keep our eyes and ears open. But I want to start by, before we dive into the questions, I just want to start by having you share a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. And, you know, the SBA guy, you've had that handle for a long time. Like, I think I met you years ago when you were still at Wells. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've been in the SBA lending game about 22 years. Mm-hmm. Um, my nickname, the SBA guy, is self-appointed. I called myself about three months that about three months into my career, <laughs> so I, I granted myself that. Uh, I got it as my uh, vanity license plate about three months after that. <laughs> so I've been the, the SBA guy for a long time. Um, I had a, a long career at Wells Fargo prior to SBA lending, um, but never really had a lot high level of um, satisfaction in my work. And I really realized that I enjoyed working with small business owners. And as an SBA lender, it is truly a life-changing experience. So Mm. um, I spent some time in large corporate and in cash management. And I said, on my best day, I could make a controller or CFO's life 3% better. Mm. In SBA lending, on my best day, I changed somebody's life. So it's a much happier reason to get up in the morning and remain passionate about really um, making, taking people who have that small business dream and helping them become owners. Yeah. And it's not like there's a lack of business out there, right? There's always more opportunities. There's always good businesses to fund. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, let's, let's face it, we have a, a small business country, right? The, the majority of, of um, the people in, in our country are employed by what you call small business. Correct. You're mm-hmm. correct. Of the, of the business enterprises in the U.S., more than 97% could be defined as a small business. Yeah, that's a big percentage. It is. And as I said in the opener, we're heading into a new year. Um, there could be some opportunities, right? Yeah, and I think we're st- I think we're still primarily in a seller's market. There's mm-hmm. a lot of capital out there. There's a lot of people who would love to buy and own a business. Um, uh, cost of capital has gone up, kind of across the marketplace, regardless of how you're funding your transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some reason to believe that might ease a little bit in 2024. Yeah, that's I, what I've been reading. Yeah, so uh-huh. I just go. You know, I'm not the Federal Reserve. I don't want to make any predictions. Yeah, but it certainly seems to be the case that uh, there's some optimism about where rates might be going in 2024 and and beyond. Yeah, and so maybe uh, we approach this then from uh, a buyer standpoint. Right. There's probably some owners out there who are thinking, well, I think I'm staying in the game for a little bit longer. Yep. Maybe a good growth strategy for me to we would be to consider a roll up. So w- would that be what you would deem as an acquisition entrepreneur? You bet. Mm-hmm. So from my point of view, the term ac- acquisition entrepreneur has a pretty broad definition. It's really someone who des- decides to pursue entrepreneurial activity via the purchase of an existing enterprise versus starting a new one. Um, so for most of my buyers, I would say more than half my buyers are first-time owners, mm. um, so they're not non-owner today. They've probably had a good career. They've built some net worth and liquidity, but they don't want to end their career without having been an owner. Mm. Um, but I also have very young entrepreneurs who would never consider working for anyone other than, than themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a, also a, a section of who I work with are folks who, they're entrepreneurs today. They already own a business. They want to grow it uh, via an acquisition, via real estate. Um, via diver, uh, diversification. Mm-hmm. So I would think then a, a fair number of the clients that you've worked with over the years have would be could be deemed a serial entrepreneur. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So going from one to the next, and I, I think that that fits the persona of many entrepreneurs, kind of industry wide, regardless of of um, yeah. you know size of company or yeah yeah. One uh, one thing I think has been a trend because the last three years have been always been easy in small business ownership. Um, is their uh, burnout has become a bigger factor. Mm-hmm. But I do find that entrepreneurs, sometimes they're burned out, not necessarily of being an entrepreneur, but of their current business. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're just not in love anymore. The passion isn't there. Um, whenever I'm at a closing, regardless of the age of the seller, I give them my business card. And I say, if you get bored being retired, 
let me know. And right. you'd be surprised. Uh, a lot of business owners, they think retirement may be their motivation. Um, but uh, even after they've exited their primary company, uh, it's surprising how often they're, they want to get back into ownership, yeah. maybe at a smaller level. Well, it just becomes a part of who they are. Correct. Right? And so they're just going to the next thing. Well, and yeah. I think that entrepreneurs, uh, that business purpose becomes part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And when they lose that, they realize that maybe they could still stay in the game, mm-hmm. um, but in a, either in a different industry or on a different level. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to an exit planning conversation, you know, I have a lot of those these days. Um, I, I try to reframe it and and present it in such a way that the owner actually looks at it from, um, like, what's next? Instead of having it be, I either I stay here or I go, right. and it's and it's nothing. Yeah, it doesn't have to be nothing. It just be the next thing, which is kind of how trailblazers are. Right. Well, the other thing, the, one of the things you address in your book, which I think is important in my world, on both sides of the equation, is it's not just the financial and the business dynamics of the transaction. This is an emotional decision. Yeah. The exit is an emotional decision. It's going to change why you get up in the morning, but the entrance is as well. So I almost think of the need for a book called Poised to Enter. Oh, well, <laughs> so, maybe that'll be our next one. Well, but in, in other yeah. words, I go, the just like the seller needs to prepare to lose some of that purpose, mm-hmm. a buyer needs to prepare to have a different risk profile. Um, one example is in my business, oftentimes I end up taking a lien on someone's home as partial collateral for the loan. Sure. Um, that, can, that can cause anxiety for a buyer. Of course. Uh, significant anxiety. Uh, one of my first questions is, do you have a mortgage now? And for most of my clients, not all, but most, they say, oh, yeah, I have a mortgage. And I go, well, what's that mortgage tied to? Well, what do you mean? I go, well, what's, why, why did a bank give that to you? Well, because I have a good job and I get a good pay. And I'm like, are, and how confident are you that you can have a good job? Well, pretty confident. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you're shifting that to confidence in yourself as an entrepreneur versus an employee. Right. And sometimes they start to go, oh, so I still have the risk that a lender has a lien on my house, which is the same as I have now. Right. But now instead of it tied to me being a good employee and having W-2 earnings, it's tied to my entrepreneurial skill set. Yeah. And if someone has a high level of anxiety about that, I go, probably keep the W-2 job. Right. Um, because to be an entrepreneur, you got to get comfortable with the risk is now in your hands. Correct. Um, the risks are a little bigger, but you also control them. Yes, for sure. Yeah, personal guarantee is definitely a factor. And a security instrument, one way or the other, right, is, is going to be a part of it. So Correct. Definitely. Um, let's talk about SBA financing and limitations. and. You bet. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is talk about SBA and Perry Pursue, yes. a, a, a certain angle on SBA. But before we do that, I w- just want to talk briefly about fundamentals. Um, I, do t- I work with a lot of buyers and people across the market, even sellers sometimes, and they want to talk about financing and loans. And I was going, hey, that's great, but it's not the interesting part. Mm. <laughs> so I like to stop people and go, a, a loan is just a tool to fund an acquisition. Right. Uh, I was go, the question is, is there an acquisition to fund in the first place? And regardless of the funding mechanism, whether it's an SBA loan or Rich Uncle Bob or whatever, uh, your, even your own cash, what are the fundamentals? Does it make sense? What does the business do? What are the risks? I always go, it's always fundamentals first. And that's what I spend the majority of my time on, are the business fundamentals, and does this make sense? If the answers to that are yes, there's usually going to be a funding mechanism that'll work. Um, Oftentimes, people want to go into a lot of the details of the funding mechanism, 
I'm like, hey, great. We'll get to know that over time. Mm-hmm. But let's start looking at some transactions and talking about fundamentals first. Sure. Um, uh, related to SBA and limitations, most people know that US SBA eligibility limit is $5 million. So anyone, owner or affiliated group of ent- entities can have up to $5 million of SBA exposure. Um, the cool part is you can get more financing than that for transactions that are SBA eligible by using what's called a Paripasu financing structure. Okay. All that means is a bank is doing an SBA guaranteed loan. They're also doing a companion conventional loan, but on the exact same terms as the SBA loan. So they really just work together as a single funding mechanism for a transaction. And these would usually be companies with enterprise value somewhere between 10 and $15 million. Okay. So it's not two separate loans? It actually is two separate loans. Um, okay. And I, I said between 10 and 15, I mean, I should have said five and 15. Okay. So for businesses between five and 15 million, yeah. um, when someone needs more than 5 million in capital, okay. we can fund over 5 million. It is actually set up as two separate loans, one loan with an SBA guarantee, one without. But uh, US SBA basically says to the bank, hey, we'll allow you to share the collateral with the SBA guaranteed loan as long as you give the borrower the advantage of advantages of the exact same terms as the SBA loan. In other mm. words, same amortization, same term, same rate. Mm. Uh, for instance, if there are no covenants on the SBA loan, I can't then put covenants on the conventional loan. So Perry Pissou is a way, let's say that someone's buying a business for $10 million, and they're going to bring in a million dollars of equity, and the seller's going to carry a million dollars of financing, and they need $8 million of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do that with a Perry Pissou loan. We'd do a $5 million SBA loan, a $3 million bank loan, and they'd both be on the mm. exact same terms. Mm. And the SBA guaranteed loan and the bank loan would have the same collateral position, a shared first lien. Oh, okay. That was my next question because I didn't realize that it was a shared uh, position as far as a lien. I was thinking, well, SBAs probably get paid back first yeah. before, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. so the term peri pursue is Latin for basically on equal footing. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea being SBA kind of saying, hey, we'll share the first lien, but we want the borrower to have those advantages mm-hmm. of our somewhat more generous SBA terms. Um, so at Live Oak, we also do what we call combination financing. Sometimes in a transaction based on characteristics of the deal, um, Perry Pursue isn't a fit, but combination is. Similar concept, we're doing a SBA loan at the maximum eligibility for that borrower. Might be $5 million if they've never had an SBA loan before, or it might be something less if they have any current SBA debt. And then we do a conventional bank loan, and that's going to be on a shorter term, either a five- or seven-year amortization, and the bank would truly be in a second lien. Okay. So we call that combination. Okay. Um, but most often we prefer that peri pursue structure where SBA and the bank are in um, shared first lien, and we're able to fund those dollars over the $5 million limit. So that would be in a situation where they didn't already have other SBA financing on other entities. Correct. Yeah. And when they do, so for instance, right now I'm working with a client. I did a $4 million transaction with the client uh, in the past. Mm -hmm. So he's got about $4 million of SBA debt. We're now doing another transaction where he needs fairly significant capital. We'll do a $1 million 7A because he's got $1 million of eligibility left. And then we'll do a companion Perry Pursue conventional bank loan for the remainder. So is there any kind of loan-to-value limitations when you're doing a Perry Pursue? Um, there isn't really direct loan-to-value limitations. 
uh, other than the 10% equity. Okay, so it's the same, 10%. Correct. Okay. Um, but I, like, I do like folks to know, in today's market with higher costs of capital, um, loan-to-value, i.e. that SBA policy of a 10% equity injection, um, typically that's not the limiter. It's how much debt can the cash flow of the company support. Right. So um, people, people tend to still be thinking in today's market, hey, if I have 10% down and the seller's willing to carry 10%, I can get an SBA loan for 80% of the deal. Sometimes true, sometimes not, mm-hmm. depending on debt service coverage, depending on the multiple that they're paying. Obviously, the higher the multiple, um, there may be a gap in the transaction. Mm-hmm. And I do think in today's market, uh, valuations really haven't come down much. Seller expectations haven't changed a lot, I don't think. Mm-hmm. There's lots of capital and lots of eager buyers. Um, so the uh, sometimes there's a need to get creative in the middle, either with standby seller financing contingent seller financing, additional buyer equity, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that to help get deals done. So in your mind, when we talk about Parapasu, what are the primary benefits? Maybe you could illustrate that with a particular situation that came up recently. You bet. Um, And I want to touch on a couple of things. So right now I'm working with a buyer. Um, He's uh, he's uh, what I'd call a searcher. Mm-hmm. So he's got a very strong background, great financial profile. He actually quit his very well-paying job to conduct a national search. So he's planning to relocate. He's looking for a particular type of business. Um, he's got that business under LOI. It's about an $8 million transaction. Um, he'll be bringing in, and, and he's getting at a pretty reasonable multiple. So he'll be bringing in approximately 10% of the total cost. Um, seller is carrying approximately 10%. The bank will really fund the rest. We'll do this. Five, he, he has no SBA debt. Um, he's, uh, he comes from an entrepreneurial family. He's participated in small business ownership, but he has not been an owner personally. Mm. Um, so he doesn't have any existing SBA debt. So we can do that $5 million SBA loan. And then we're going to do a companion loan, probably somewhere between two and 3 million for that additional capital. That's going to cover additional purchase money plus also permanent working capital. So like a line of credit then, or, um, really permanent in this case, permanent, permanent. working capital, Okay. Basically funded at closing mm-hmm. to get him back to normalized cash flow. So then does the business have to um, be able to support both payments or does that secondary lien, if you call it that, um, come later in terms of payback? Um, business needs to support all the debt. Okay. Yep. Wh- what about the seller note? Is that usually paid later too or how, is that, how does that work? Um, most often not. So oh. most transactions that I see the seller note based on how it's structured is mm-hmm. going to be included in our cash flow analysis okay. and our debt service analysis. Is, is there a particular SBA program though that uh, requires that the seller note be paid back later after the SBA loan is paid off? It really depends on whether the seller's note is being included as any of the equity or not. Oh. And while there is some flexibility on that topic, yeah. and actually those some of those rules changed a little bit in 2023, Okay. in general, for most outside buyers most banks are still going to require 10% equity. Okay. So if we have a highly experienced buyer or sometimes an inside buyer, we'll reduce that equity requirement for the buyer. And then, for instance, we'll have seller financing that's on full standby for the term of the loan that might count as equity or that's on two-year standby or interest only for the life of the loan that might count as equity. Mm. But the key is at most banks, that reduced equity structure is reserved for buyers who either have really... Uh, deep direct industry experience or who are insiders in the company. Sure. That makes sense. What other situations have recently come up that, you know, you've had to be creative in 
putting these kinds of deals together. I think, honestly, I think that there are, I know that I have people in my network who would be interested in hearing about some of these options. Um, I'm working on a package right now where it's a purchase price is $12 million. Um, Buyer's profile is, you know, very experienced buyer who's actually put together an equity fund. Um, But the uh, availability of capital, so a lot of private equity players are, are coming down market this particular company is between 1.5 and 2 million of EBITDA. So in this mm-hmm. case, uh, what I'd call traditional senior debt may not be available at that size. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to really look at the SBA structure. Well, um, SBA loans always require a personal guarantee. Yeah. So folks who come out of the private equity world, they may not be expecting that. They may be thinking, wait, I want non-recourse debt. Mm-hmm. Well, in this particular case, this gentleman had put together this fund it's really his strategy, mm-hmm. and he's really not afraid of a personal guarantee. Um, so we started talking about, well, what might be available with a personal guarantee? Is there a conventional structure that might work? Uh, we started talking about Perry Pursue and the SBA rule change related to partial buy-ins. Um, so this is a gentleman where he can really take over for the owner. Uh, in other words, the owner won't be uh, mission-critical post-closing. Uh, the owner is going to uh, retain some equity in the enterprise, mm-hmm. but less than 20%. So in this case, we can do a partial buy-in. We can fund it with an SBA structure. He's willing to provide a personal guarantee. Most of the equity will come out of his fund. Um, so it ends up being a nice tool for them to fund the deal. And they actually have access to a little more leverage than they would in typical senior debt. And so is this particular seller planning to I hate to use the word retire, but <laughs> is that is that the plan, or are they moving in, on to something else? In this particular case, it's it's early on, but it sounds like the seller does not yet want to retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you said they're taking a keeping a minority, but do they, are they going to have a role in the business, or you know, it's when you get in the very front end of these transactions, uh-huh. you it's it's hard it's hard to know yeah. because it is on the front end. Uh, right. There's not yet a, an LOI in place, mm. um, so. Uh, one of the things I like to advise buyers is um, we know that these are these topics are nebulous in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to start to think through, what do I think this might look like? Yes. So we can start to pick a path. Absolutely. And if you, when you can't, when my buyer can't visualize what this is going to look like, yeah. I'm like, there are just too many choices to pick from. Yeah. You've got to kind of be the engine and tell yeah. me where we're headed yeah. and paint that picture of what this might look like. In yeah. this this particular case, my belief is that uh, the seller would retain some role, but again, not be mission critical. All right. One more question for you, John. You bet. Let's talk about the difference between SBA and straight conventional financing, because I know there are. Um, and and that, you know, there is kind of a perception out there that SBA is really difficult. So let's unpack that. Absolutely. For, just for a minute. Yeah. And I, I actually love this topic. Um, my What I tell folks is um, SBA is a product most people's problems and experiences with SBA, negative experiences, are due, the, due to the practitioner, not the product. I would agree with that. Yeah. So from my point of view, the, you know, a couple, of, a couple of things come up. I regularly have people ask me, are you a preferred lender? Well, Live Oak is not only a preferred lender. We're the biggest preferred lender in the country in terms of dollar volume. The last five years, been number one SBA lender in the country in dollar volume. Um, being a preferred lender is about the lowest credibility hurdle there is. Yeah. And from my point of view, that kind of says that you know a little bit about SBA. Particularly in this world, acquisition funding and goodwill funding, it may or may not mean you know the first thing or have the least appetite for it. 
So a lot of people end up with banks. Um, I have a client right now or a potential client where um, he's kind of been swayed by a very low rate offer, a below market offer from a bank who really isn't good at SBA lending for goodwill acquisitions. Mm. Um, He's been in underwriting for seven weeks. Shouldn't be more than two or three at at the most. Um, Mm. The transaction hasn't come together and it's putting the deal at risk. Mm. Um, So when... I think it's very important that you pick your practitioner to serve your number one goal, which is getting getting the deal done. Yeah. Um, the other thing I, I want to revert back to is that idea of fundamentals. Um, SBA lenders like myself are deal professionals. That's what we do. Um, most bankers are not deal and acquisition professionals. Good point. Yeah. So SBA lenders are much more likely to be focused on what are the fundamentals? Does this business make sense? Are you going to be a good manager of this business? How are you going to source your equity? How do we issue, how do we deal with any one particular problem? They're deal professionals. Um, so if you're working with a bank where what I'd call traditional banking is really their forte, they might might not be the right person. And just like as you mentioned in your book, you should have a good you should have a good financial planner. You should have an attorney that's an M and A attorney. You should have a CPA that's M&A CPA, same in my world. Mm-hmm. Your lender should be an M&A deal person, not just a bit banker that's done some SBA loans. Right. Well, in some of these smaller or mid-sized banks, I would think that because they have to wear a lot of hats and they've you know achieved the SBA financing status for approved lender, um, that you know they can only do as much as they can do when they have to right. be responsible for all these different things. So, well, um, gosh, I would really like to unpack goodwill funding. Um, but we don't really have time, so we're going to have to save that for another episode. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, because that's a big deal. I mean, let's face it, most of the value of a business is intangible. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John, um, any parting words of advice that you can um, share with our listeners really quick before we wrap? I think the key is uh, the, the concept of acquisition entrepreneurs and what we call ETA, entrepreneurship through acquisition, um, has gained a lot of popularity in the marketplace. Uh, it's certainly getting more traction here in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota. I think it's very exciting. Um, I've uh, I've counseled for years, don't start a business, buy one. You've got mm-hmm. customers, you've got employees, you've got cash flow on day one. Um, it's still one of my favorite things to do is help somebody become a business owner. So if you're interested in buying a business, uh, feel free to reach out to the SBA guy. Well, and we will have your contact information, of course, in the show notes, as well as tagging you on social media. This has been fantastic. Thank you for joining us today, John. Thanks so much, Julie. Really appreciate it. Thanks, listeners. Happy holidays, and we'll see you soon.